Welcome everyone to another episode of Friday PM. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about it. You guys had me hanging there for a moment. <laughs> Welcome everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. God richly bless you. And for the regular viewers, welcome back. And those that are joining us for the first time, you are very welcome. And do yourself a favor, catch up with all the other episodes that you have missed. And it's no accident that you've joined us today. If you've missed last weekend, then you've missed out. Where should they go? Uh, for the Easter worship? You're welcome to check it out. It's still there. And... Uh... We thank you for everyone who have written wonderful, wonderful feedback, emails and comments. Praise the Lord. We give glory to Jesus and uh, we keep nothing for ourselves. <laughs> we don't Amen. deserve it. And um, so it's still there and it's wonderful if you could share it with friends and family who don't know the Lord. And I know they will be blessed. Yeah. Yeah. So if you type in Vinesong Easter Worship Night... Um, or you look for worship night, we've got a worship night playlist which has the worship night from February and this Easter worship night. If you just want a worship boost, then that's where you'll find it on our channel. Fantastic. Is it on Facebook or not? Only on YouTube? Okay, it's only on YouTube. Also, we've got a very exciting announcement to make because very soon, hopefully, we are going to start, or what do you say? We're going to be starting our podcast. Right? Yep. Rachel, tell us. So we're going to be taking these episodes. We understand that many people are not able just to sit down for, you know, 30 minutes, 40 minutes to watch something. But maybe they're out for, you're out for a walk or you're doing other things and you'd love to just listen um, to the, the message. And sometimes on YouTube, that's not very easy. So we're looking at doing a podcast so that you can um, listen while you're on the go and doing other things and just a, another way to engage with Friday PM and the things that we're, we're putting out. Praise the Lord. So we hope you'll be mightily blessed. We'll let you know when that comes up. Uh, we'll, we'll leave a little reminder there for you. So we're praying into that. Now moving to today, we actually have got a very special guest with us today in the form of Rachel Gray. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping that I was going to be on Zoom like all the other special guests, but um, I said, no, I've got to come into the studio. So. We thought of leaving Rachel, Rachel in the house. Yeah in the house in the living room and say Ooh, I'm, you know where are you and now I'm just in the living room <laughs> well we thought of really we've been praying about it actually and saying uh, Lord when is the right time because so many people have been blessed by Rachel's wonderful testimony over the years so many people that we've been staying with and some pastors or, or members of the church that have heard uh, just how mightily the Lord has uh, pulled her through so many amazing challenges and circumstances mm -hmm. and so we just appreciate you Rachel uh, she's a great asset uh, not only to this ministry but to the body of Christ and I know she's got a she's got a big family and maybe we should start there Rachel tell us uh, what you want of uh, I'm one of uh, seven children I'm the third uh, so I was born the three older ones we were all born in the 70s you know you get your calculator out and 
work out <laughs> ages. Um, but <laughs> but um, some people are thinking, really? I thought you were so much younger. <laughs> Late seventies. Late Well, actually, yeah. the mid seventies. The mid seventies. So nice anyway, try, Zach. Good yeah, time. moving right along. Thank you. <laughs> anyway, so um, I've got an older sister, Melanie. Um, she's exactly three years older than I am, and between us is my brother Richard, 16 months between him and my sister and 20 months between um, me and him. And so we were, so my mum had three children under the age of five, basically from the age of three, you know, with me there, um, as we were growing up. And um, that was, it was like that until the end of 1980 when my brother Adrian came along and then came along my sister Vicky at the beginning of uh, 1983. Then my brother Philip in 1984, and finally my baby sister Hannah, who came along in 1982, four months before my 18th birthday. 82, 92. 92, 92. 92. very. Sorry, good. sorry, sorry. I was, I was, <laughs> you're getting me off guard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Wow, Rachel. And then now the family. How many grandchildren are there really? How many uh, uh, so nieces and six nephews? nephews six nephews and four nieces. Praise the Lord. Wow. wow, there's fruitfulness in the Gray family. Praise the Lord. And of course, your mom and dad are so lovely. We appreciate them. Uh, Byron and... Patton Byron. Patton Byron. And we appreciate them so much. They they always support us. They always pray for us. And which is one... I mean, yeah. we're kind of a big Vinesong yes, family. But with Rachel's family, we're, we're getting a really, really big family. <laughs> we've got rent a crowd over there. <laughs> She, they, they added the numbers, so yeah, your family is a, is a great blessing, Rachel. And um, okay, so you, you, you grew up in, uh, so you were born yeah. where? So I was born in um, a place called Blockswich, uh, which is near Warsaw in the West Midlands. Um, so I was born in 1974, so the mid-70s, and the area that I grew up in, um, was you know there were a lot of white people there were not very many black people it was not very ethnically diverse it wasn't necessarily maybe as bad as when my parents came um, but we still went went through that and of course you stand out when you're at school you know if you're the only mm. you know me my brother and sister and maybe there were two or three other um, people of color a couple of Indian people and maybe a couple you know a couple of other people of color that that was it that was it mm. in our in our school of school of you know of you know hundreds of people um but you know we 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 grew through that and it was you know it was it was a good time um sorry and your your parents are are from jamaica right yes my parents are from jamaica Uh, Mm and they came over in the 60s both their mothers had come over to england uh, in the 50s after the war after the 1940s 1945 um, England called a lot of people over from the Commonwealth, which a lot of Indians, a lot of people from the Caribbean and um, some African countries to come over um, to do jobs in the NHS, to drive buses and really do all of those jobs, kind of really to build the economy back up and build the country back up. So my grandmothers were over in England. They came over from, from Jamaica and they decided they were going to send for their children and bring their children over to England with them to kind of um grow up and and yeah mm. and then you i think you mentioned at some point uh you've told me i think once or twice that basically your parents moved to an area basically that's more predominantly white right mm-hmm. that you didn't choose it was there a specific reason for that or 
when my parents were looking for a house, I'm not really sure why they they decided, um, but they decided to look further afield and to look into another community. And I think, I don't know if they looked at the schools in Wolverhampton and were not happy with the way that some of the some of their cousins and, and that were being treated because there was there was wow. a lot of racism in just in even in the outcomes you know of of of, of young people not being um, pushed to do any further told that they couldn't do anything further told that they wouldn't be able to achieve higher things and putting Terrible. them in for lower exams and things mm. like that um, and maybe they looked at that and thought listen we'll go to another area and give our children a different chance. So at school, were you an achiever, Rachel, to see those marks? How well did you do? Just I, I, no, I really... you, listen, for the record, Rachel's pretty clever, okay? Yeah. She's, she's clever. So you're gifted, Rachel. And so what, uh, what I, I was like school, school for you? I like school. I was, you know, I think um, I was, you know, I always achieved quite well. I think maybe I wanted to, um, you know, make my parents proud or, or whatever, but I was I was okay at school. I enjoyed school. I enjoyed school work. I I worked hard. I wasn't the brightest, but I wasn't the dumbest. You know, I wasn't really. You know, I had the ability. I had the ability, and and really, I think it was just working hard. It wasn't that I was necessarily just naturally intelligent. I had natural intelligence, but I still had to work hard at it. And um, I did fairly well at school. In in England, we do exams at the age of sixteen. And I stayed on after the age of 16 and decided to do A-levels. I decided that I wanted to become an engineer. Um, I think my dad had spoken about engineering before and I thought, okay, that sounds like a good thing to do. And I decided I wanted to do electrical, electronic engineering. And because many people said, you know, mechanical is hard and and hard work and heavy stuff. And I thought, okay, I'll do electronic. (laughs) (laughs) I I would have done, I could have done the dirty stuff. It wasn't really a problem, but... um, you know that's what that's what I did. So at the age of eighteen, I did my A levels. I did um, I did physics, German because I I was very good at languages, and and maths. And I didn't actually get very good grades at my my A levels. I really, um, you know, it was very difficult to study. I think at home it was difficult to study. We had a, I didn't have my own bedroom. I shared a room, and A levels was just such a big leap. And there was just a, a lot of stuff and I, I just, just at that stage wasn't able to, to do it. But um, I was still able to go to the, the university that I wanted to go to. I, I, at that stage, I gave my life to the Lord at the age of 15. I decided that, God, I want to live for you. That's, you know, I believe that this is real. And, and I gave my life to the Lord. I gave my life to the Lord many times before that, I think, growing up. But 15 was that kind of real decision where I said, Lord, you know, this, I'm going to do this. And I really believe, and I prayed about, you know, my university and God, where do you want me to be? I remember going and visiting the university and before they offered me a place and I thought, this is, this is the course I want to be on. They did German with electronic engineering. I thought that's perfect. That's where I want to be. I didn't get the grades that they asked for and they didn't ask for high grades, but, and, but I called them. And they said, yeah, you've got the place. And I really saw that as God's hand on my life. I really mm. feel emotional, but I really saw God really move, you mm. know, at that time. Mm. And it was just really um, tangible. Mm. And, um, yeah, just very... <laughs> 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 well, it's normal, very... Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so going to university, I really sensed God's hand on my life at that time. Mm. Um, I really knew that God was with me and that, that really started that real kind of walk of faith with the Lord because he brought me, he put me somewhere where I didn't deserve to be. I hadn't got what I needed to, to get to be there. And that mm. really started my faith journey with the Lord to know how much he's got my back and that if he's got my back, then I can only go forward. I can only go upwards. Mm. I'm amazed how you, as a young person, uh, I look at the young people these days and remember myself when I was 15, how difficult it was to step away from the crowd mm. and, and follow the will of the Lord for my life. And I do salute you for being so strong in your faith. I know you grew up in the church I did too, but there is a place in your life where you are faced with the decision to step away from the crowd and to follow the Lord. Mm. And you had, I know you have shared with me some real intimate part of your life where you were abused as a child mm. and having to overcome racism, having to overcome abuse, and then coming to a place of being 15 and saying, Lord, I'm going for you and yeah. how the Lord after that had had such love for you such and he showed it to you mm. by putting you in this wonderful place mm. in the university can you talk about that yeah I mean you you mentioned um, the abuse and I think at that time and at that age I was it wasn't on my radar wasn't thinking about it I, I was abused I think at the age of eight nine um by a relative and um it really it did have an impact on my life but the impact that it had on my life I didn't realize until later on until really I was in my 20s it wasn't something that I thought about you know people talk about abuse and they think you know you think it's some stranger somewhere but when somebody that you know and love and trust does something that they shouldn't do you think that you're to blame right. and you carry a lot of guilt and you carry a lot of shame mm. and um, so so it just wasn't on my radar I mean I didn't even know that it was abuse because in your young mind you, mm. you, there's things that you don't perceive in your young mind that you can only perceive when you're older there's when when you look at it through, through the lens of time you can see hey that wasn't right but mm. at the age of eight nine ten even in teenage years even going to university you can't you can't you can't see that mm. because and actually one of the things that I I told myself this thing this thought kept coming up about what had happened about this abuse and and I, I, at that time I wasn't even thinking it was abuse okay it would keep coming up in my mind but it was only when I was the at the age of 27 that that thing where where God it came up in my mind again and I realized and I was able to look at it and say you know what that was abuse what happened was abuse. Until the age of 27, I had not known or called that thing as a, a, abuse. But to say that, yes, you know, it, it, it really had a big impact on my life, which I really only saw, um, saw later on. Uh, right, so then uh, in your 20s, so, what, so you finished the degree in electronic engineering, then you went to Germany. When did you go yeah, to Germany? Yeah, so during my degree, so the degree that I did um, was a degree in electron electrical and electronic engineering with German. Mm. 
Um, so as part of the course, they, in, English, in England they call them sandwich courses. So you do two years at university, you do a year out in industry, and then you do one year and finish university. So that third year, because I was on the course and I was doing German, I had to go to Germany. And so, I mean, that's a whole miracle in itself, even kind of being in Germany, getting the job in Germany, all of that. That was a real walk of faith. And God showed himself to me um, just so strongly because, I mean, I didn't have a placement in the June of the year that I was supposed to be going. Um, I was supposed to start my placement in September. But I, I went on, on holiday, the summer break, knowing, God, you've got this. And during that summer break, that's when I got the placement. I got a placement at Siemens in Munich. And it was, it really was fantastic. I mean, what was great about it for me, I mean, I'm in a different country, a different culture, a different language. And I went to a church there, I found a church there, and I felt at home. Actually, more at home than the church I'd gone to at university. The church I'd gone to at university was um, the denomination that I'd grown up in. It had um, Caribbean people, people from my background, people, uh, black people that, you know, you think that you have a common ground with. But I felt less at home there than I did at the church in Germany. Mm, I felt amazing. more at home in that church in Germany. And, and, and that was really, really great. I mean, one of the things that I had to overcome, actually, was... Um, often when people ask you where you're from, and even in England when people did it, it used to get, it used to be a bit irritated. People ask you where you're from and you tell them you're from Warsaw. I'm like, but where are you from? It's like, <laughs> you know, as, as a, as a no, black person or a person of colour, so you sometimes it can get irritating, but what God taught me in Germany is that people are just interested. Don't get angry because people, because I actually do the same thing. If I see something that's a different colour, you ask them where they're from, but you are wondering where are their origins. It's natural. Mm. Mm. And that's one of the things that, that God taught me during that time. You don't have to get angry because people are asking you where you stem from genealogically and you know where you where where your family is is from mm. it's fine it's a natural curiosity it's nothing to be angry about and it's not racism people are just curious that's that's fine yeah. so that's one of the things that the lord had to try and help me get over at that time because people would ask me you know where you're from um, but where do you originate from? I mean, I didn't even know the words. But how do, how do they do it? They speak a little bit of German. Uh, how would the Germans ask uh, wo, wo, Woher kommen Sie? And I'd say, you know, England. But wo, stam, wo stammen Sie her? <laughs> wo stammen Sie her? <laughs> and at first I didn't really understand what the stammen was. You know, where wo stammen Sie her? I just knew, okay, but she's already asked me where am I from. And then she's asking me, wo stammen Sie her? Okay, she's asking where I'm from again. Um, but then I realised, oh, she's asking where I originate from, and and yeah, so it was a it was a time of growth. It was a time of learning. Um, I really had great relationships mm. with all you know German people. They were older than me. I mean, mm. probably twenty years older than me uh, in many cases. But it was just a great, mm. a really great time. And I think I think growing up in the um, environment that I grew up in. You know, I'm around, you know, white people all the time in school and stuff. So it, it didn't phase, you know, like it, mm. so there's certain, it didn't phase me. It wasn't something totally um, new that I had to try and come to terms with. It was my everyday reality. Um, whereas a lot of people, you know, that I grew up with, because, you know, it was like we had, I had school and church was like a different thing because church was like going back to Jamaica. 
because mm. then you've got the whole cultural thing going on there and it's almost like you get your cultural all that cultural um, upbringing and, and all that cultural um, just that identity I guess from parents grandparents but also that church community mm. so it's almost like living in two worlds but what I noticed as well was that many people in my church community had, didn't have that exposure. They were in schools where the majority black people, they, they stayed around black people, they went to church. Everything was with, just with Jamaican, Caribbean people and not really mixing with any other people. And so I really thank God that my parents did what they did, which kind of just allowed me to be able to mix and just have a wider, um, just have a, a wider, broader mm. view um, of life. Uh, coming back to Germany quickly, Rachel. So tell us quickly. So you're in Germany in the German church, and you heard the song called "Friede wie ein Strom," right? Mm -hmm. And for any Germans watching, we love Germany, yeah. by the way. We love you, and we hope we can get there soon uh, to minister in your wonderful nation again. But Rachel, you heard the song, and what were you, what was your your thinking at the time? Well, I loved it. I mean, we sang it basically every other week. And while I was in Germany, I became part of the worship team. They asked me to become to come onto the worship team for the English services, which were once a month. And then they asked me to come into the worship team for the German services. So I was in the mm. worship team in the church. Um, so, so then fast forward a few years down the line, we can quickly come yeah, just to when you were in yeah. so, so, One yeah. day we were... Yeah, so Frieda Bjornstrom, I mean, they, like I said, they played it every, they sang it every other Sunday. It was a wonderful song. I loved it. So fast forward um, 2008 and I'm in song and I hear this song in English, Peace Like a River. And I'm like, and I've joined song. I know that song have Let Your Living Water Flow. I find out that Holy Spirit Move Me Now is another song that is part of, you know, um, song. Then I hear Peace Like a River and I'm like, no way. Like, <laughs> I, I said to I said to is is this your song, John? Did you did you write this? I said yeah. It's like <laughs> you, in nineteen ninety four ninety five when I was in Germany, that was uh, it was just mm. it just blew me away that this was a song that was just so um, dear to me at that mm. time and was really working and moving in the churches. I mean, every time we sang that song, there was just a move of, of the spirit in the churches, and it was just wonderful. Now, let's rewind quickly, Rach. So, after Germany, you did... So, when did you do... You did an MBA at some point, right? So, that's basically 10 years after my first degree. Mm. So, I, so, I left... I did Germany, finished my degree, and then I worked in telecommunications. I got a job doing what I wanted well, to do. That's when you started travelling. Yes, yeah. yeah. And um, that I started traveling then. Um, so I, I started as a software developer, which I really didn't enjoy because you just have to have a relationship with your computer that I just was not interested <laughs> in, in having. I could do the job, but I really found it. I mean, every, every afternoon after lunchtime, I'd fall asleep at my computer and my friend would walk by. She'd know every time she walked by, she'd walk by. I'd be falling asleep or I'd be asleep or, or whatever. And um, I did that job for two years. And then in the same company, I was able to get an opportunity um, to join a new team where they wanted us to travel. So still doing technical things. It was a technical sales job. They had new products out and they wanted us to go out and to go to different countries and talk about these new products. And it was it was great. I mean, I went to China. There's China. I would never in a million years have ever gone to China. Um, but I went with the job and I traveled 
all over. I mean, um, here you were flying business class yeah. with this team of executives going yeah. from from Australia to China to South America, yeah, South so, America yeah, to Argentina went, um, yeah, Japan, you know, the only woman in the team and the only person of colour in the team. And we were a small team. I think we were probably about six six people. Um, or six, yeah, six or seven people that had to go out and, and, and do this. Amazing. Yeah, great times. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and, and sorry, I don't want to uh, uh, preempt your testimony, but it, was it then that you said that you were, you were washing up one day? Or when, when am I running ahead? So, to, yeah, to so um, really uh, basic, I think I was about 24 when I mm. started doing the traveling. That was great. Um, it was the heydays, you know, the tech, there was a tech com, you know, there was a, a, a tech Boom. bubble yeah. Yeah. which burst in 2001. Mm. And I remember in 2001, it was like November 2001, I was just really thinking about my life and thinking about what I'm doing and where I'm going. And work had, had, had changed a lot because of this, 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 um, this burst, you know, the bubble, tech bubble had burst. And so, you know, there were not spending money on training, the travelling wasn't so much, which was not so much of an issue, but I wasn't really going out to see customers. And that was my thing. I enjoyed that interactive part of the job. That's what I really enjoyed. And that wasn't there anymore. And so, yeah, in 2001, I was in my kitchen washing up and I just was thinking, am I going to travel again? Lord, what, you know, what's, you know, what's going on? And I really, it wasn't an audible voice. It was just a sense of the Lord saying, you'll travel for me one day. Mm. Mm. And um, it's like, wow. And that was it, yeah. you know, travel for me one day. And at that time, they were doing voluntary redundancies at work, but I wasn't interested at that time. But come January, I was I, I, as I started to think and think, I don't really want to be typecast as an engineer. I don't want to feel um, trapped. Um yeah, I, you know, I, they offered it again and I was very happy. <laughs> so I took the voluntary donuts in and left and um, did something totally different. I worked with young people, with, with young offenders. And, and that's what I did. That's part of, I suppose, part of my journey, part of God's preparation, actually, to, to, just, to just bring me where he wanted me to be. So after I did that job working with young offenders, um, so that was another four and a half years, so I worked for 10 years. And then I just then I did my MBA. Uh, again, another big story in itself. But I was again looking, saying, you know, I don't want to do this job for the rest of my life. Um, God, you said I'll travel for you one day, so I want to be prepared for what it is that you want me to do. And I feel like I should do some more study. And yeah, let me do an MBA. It's something I'd looked into before, and 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 I went on to I went on that path, and and God just opened doors, and I found myself doing an MBA at Warwick University in the UK. And was it at this moment that financially you really had to take quite a leap, isn't it, to do it at this time? Yes, definitely. I mean, yeah, I had to had to take quite a, quite a leap. I didn't really have savings. I remortgaged the house that I, I lived in and just I knew that I had to invest in myself. I, I just had that sense that if I want to do something, I can't sit down and wait for somebody to do it for me. Um, if it's not coming, I've got to do something for myself. So I, I remortgaged, which paid for part of the expenses and kind of just went basically in faith, just went with, OK, I, I really feel that God said, yes, I'm, let me go for it. Um, and again, that was a, a 12 month 
period, but really at the end of that, financially, I mean, I was broken. Oh, financially, my finances were in a terrible shape. I'd rented wow. my house out uh, while I was away. The person who rented it didn't pay rent, messed up a few things. Basically, it was empty, and so I was still having to pay for it, which wasn't the plan. And um, just a lot of other things happened financially while I was doing my 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 MBA. Um, so now you've got your MBA, and now now you want to obviously get the work, the work of your dreams, right? So here yeah. you are, and this is a very important part of 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 of, of your journey. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I remember one thing when I went for the MBA. I said to God, because I was doing a lot of ministry at church, I was doing a lot of things where I was, and I, I said to the Lord, you know, I don't think I want to move for a job because then I'm, everything's centred around the job, but I would move for ministry. That's what I was kind of saying to the Lord. I really didn't know where I, should, where I fitted. Uh, I did corporate. I worked in the public sector. And nothing really fulfilled me. And I was doing this MBA, was really like stepping out of the rat race for a bit to kind of get a bit of a breath, meet new people, um, but also to kind of really find out what I should be doing and where I should be going. I really didn't know what I was going to do at the end of my MBA. But what I had thought to myself is, you know, if I have to work for a living and I didn't really enjoy it, then I might as well make as much money as possible. That was, I didn't see any other point. That was that was really it. That's what I said to the Lord. But even though that was kind of my thought, there was still another thought that I've had money before. It wasn't enough. So, God, if you're going to do something, it, you really need to do it. You really need to do something special. You need to do it um, in a way that I know that you have done it and I've not done it for money or I've not done it for any other reason, but that I know that you have placed me in a particular place because I know I'm going to flourish there. Mm. So at this moment, uh, so you, is this where you went to your church? I mean, just describe yeah. the place where actually you, you, were, you were called to ministry. When January came, um, the worship leader at the church, her father passed away. And um, there was just no way that I could not be at church because I had taken some time off from the worship team before I did my MBA, like six months, the six month sabbatical, I'm dealing with this whole abuse issue and all, all of that that was going on. That's, that's when that all came up. And there was no way in her time of need that I could say, no way, no, I'm not coming to church. Um, no, I'm not mm. going to go. It's like God really, he knew what he was doing and he kind of hemmed me in. Because if it had been up to me, I wouldn't, wouldn't have been there. I wouldn't have taken the two buses every week. I would have visited, but wouldn't have taken the two buses to mm. go every week. And so that was it. Yep, I had to take the two buses every week to go to church and to lead worship. And... Um, yeah, that that was it. The Lord just the Lord just kept me there, and I and I in in many ways I didn't want to be there. I really didn't want to be there. Um, but here we are at this point in in, in Vine Song. We were at a place where we desperately were looking for an alto singer, Sean, because we were singing alto by that time. But uh, we weren't going into that too much. But we were in desperate need of someone to fulfill a position. We were going to go to the U uh, to the USA. We got a three month tour fully booked, and the team members at the time had different visa issues and different things uh, which made it not possible for them to go. So it was just 
John, Charlene, and myself. Was that right? Mm -hmm. And uh, the three of us, and we got a three-month tour fully booked to go and minister. And here we were. Well, how long before we left? Uh, this was like a week before. No, was, yeah, two weeks it was, before we it left. Was, before we had to go. It was nine days before you're gonna go. Goodness me. So nine days before we go, we're sitting here and we don't know how God's going to do it, right? Yeah. So we booked a minister at this church. What yeah. was this church called that you had? Um, New Testament Church of God in Bell Green in Coventry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So somehow the Lord opened the door. I still forgot how we, how we got to be there. Someone... I think my pastor had gone to a meeting you'd had with the Redeemed Church in Coventry, Pastor Itomi. Oh, that's right. He yes. had gone to that meeting and as a result of that, he invited Vinesong to our church. That's right. And yeah. So, we, so now we booked a minister at this church and we're, so we set up and at this lovely church and the pastor was so warm and friendly and uh, so we had the ministry time and then in that service, Charlene, this is where, this is where we started to this notice is where you for it gets the first exciting. time. Yeah. Yes, because I was singing alto at the time and uh, we had um, Beulah and Jonathan Kleinfeld and Vine song for a short time and really interim time where the Lord was really bringing the team together. And this was 12 years ago. 13. Is it 13 or it? Oh, no, my maths is terrible. Um, but it's um, just amazing. I, I was singing alto and I heard this belting alto coming from the front row, singing exactly my harmony. And I was quite amazed by this amazing deep alto voice. And afterwards, you came to the CD table and you were really touched by the song, um, Psalm 5, that we started off with. Mm -hmm. um, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Mm -hmm. Consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God. For unto thee will I cry. Um, and you came and bought that CD, even though, now we know, but even though you were basically... Um, financially in a very very bad situation you had two properties and you were trying to um, juggle your finances with having to pay off your MBA um, your skin was in a terrible condition you had terrible eczema on your face and you came to the CD table and we actually had a lovely time to chat I remember mm -hmm. like it was yesterday mm -hmm. and then you bought the CD I Behold Your Glory which has the song Psalm 5 on it mm -hmm. and uh, well, yeah well, take over from there. Yeah right I mean at that time is when you were really desperate aren't you that's why sorry we don't want to no <laughs> we, no no it's we, good so at that point what you were at a real crossroads right I really was I mean this was April um, it was coming towards the end of April and I had no money to pay the mortgages on the two properties that I had and I was really crying out to the Lord and I was saying Lord you've got to rescue me because I'd look for I mean I was working as a supply teacher I mean I'm not a teacher I'm not a trained teacher but because I'd worked with young people um, somebody saw my CV and I was with some teaching agency so I, I did it and I thought well I might I might as well do something and I, so I didn't have a lot of money. I didn't have enough money to pay my bills. and to, I had enough money to eat and do little things. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so when, you know, you came, the ministry, it ministered to me so much and so deeply. And I really sensed that these people have come to give and not to take. And there was no way that the little that I had in my account had to come out and I had to bless the ministry. It was just... 
it, it, there was no compulsion. It was just, I have to bless this ministry. They have blessed my life. And I remember I, I didn't actually have any cash on me. And so I left with a friend. We went to an ATM. I got some money out. <laughs> and I, I went to the ATM wow. so that I could sow into the offering. And then also went to the CD table. And, and I, I think I had a little bit in my account. So I was able to buy um, a couple of CDs. And I bought the I Behold Your Glory. And that was like the soundtrack for the rest of my week. That was like, give it to my, that was, the, that, those were the words of my cry my heart's cry to God. It was like it was like I found the words that I needed to express myself to God, that God, you need to rescue me. You need to do something. I, I'm tired. I was so tired. Mm. I, I applied for jobs. I was looking for jobs. I was networking. I was doing all the things that they say you're supposed to do and nothing mm. was happening. And I really just felt desperate. Mm. Um, and I, I just, but, but tired, it's like God, You've got to risk. If you don't rescue me, I don't know. But either take me <laughs> or rescue me. In the next episode of Friday PM. I mean, all I wanted to do was to help to just bless you guys back. It was just a natural reaction. Mm. And um, so I think I was helping to roll some cables or something. Help us to find some <laughs> trademark. You get cold with the cables. Yeah. <laughs> And I went to my parents and um, some of my siblings were there and I said, please, I've got this decision to make. I need you to pray for me. And I just remember we, we got together in a circle and they just they just prayed for me, my family. I mean, it's, when I look back at it now, it's emotional because it was just such a beautiful thing. You know, you, you spoke about, I was really, I'd had it with doctors. Um, I'd dealt with a lot of doctors and been told I've been wasting NHS money. And so I really had kind of unforgiveness, to be honest, <laughs> towards doctors. I really did, because the, not, nobody really could help. <laughs>